Good morning, everybody. Uh, it's great to see you guys as we um, uh, celebrate the birth of Christ uh, this Christmas season. Um, if you've been with us for a while, we've been going through the book of Hebrews, looking at uh, the superiority of Jesus as our true and better king, our true and better priest, our true and better prophet, our true and better savior. And so we're going to take a break today from the book of Hebrews uh, uh, today and, and next week as well. And, and we're going to pause today as we uh, look forward to Christmas and celebrate uh, the birth of Christ and the great significance of that for you and I today. So if you have a Bible, uh, turn to Matthew chapter 1, where we'll be. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we do have Bibles in the back. We would love to give one to you as a gift. Also, we have um, the words will be on the screen uh, for you to follow along as well. We're looking in Matthew, uh, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. Uh, and I just want to say, if, you, if you're a guest here, we know that the holiday season usually involves a lot of travel. So some of you, uh, some of our folks are away visiting family. Some of you are in town visiting family. And we are so glad you're here. And uh, we hope that this time will be refreshing and encouraging for you. So uh, Matthew, chapter 1, uh, let me pray as we get started in God's Word. Uh, Father God in heaven, thank you for this morning. Uh, Lord, a time uh, to gather with your people to gather as your people a time to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Rescuer. And uh, Lord, I thank you for uh, the, the gracious gift of your Son, uh, who lived a life for us, who died a death for us, and who rose again and will return for us. And God, we celebrate the truth and that good news this morning. Uh, Lord, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, uh, the next few minutes we have together as we continue in worshiping as we've done through singing and reading and prayer and as we will do through communion and giving and worship and now through the reading of your scripture and the proclamation of your gospel. Lord, I pray uh, that your Holy Spirit would stir up our heart's affection and our mind's attention to you. Uh, God, that your Holy Spirit who inspired the scriptures to be written would transform us this morning by your word. Uh, God, I pray that you would ignite in us a repentance and faith uh, and encouragement and obedience and love for you and for one another. We ask that you do these things for your glory and our joy and that the gospel would advance to the nations. We thank you in Christ's holy name. Amen. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is, in, is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is God's word. Friends, Jesus Christ is the dwelling presence of God with us, here and now and for eternity. And this good news changes everything for us, and this is the good news we celebrate at Christmas. It's Christmas time, and often is a time not only for us to reflect on the good news of Jesus, but also to spend time with family and maybe to see people you've not seen in a while. 
And uh, it's often the case, or at least it is for me, that we sometimes find ourselves getting in over our heads with something. Has that ever happened to you? Think about maybe a time that you've gotten in over your head around Christmas time. Maybe, uh, maybe you spent too much money on gifts, right? You got in a little over your head financially. Maybe uh, you ate too much food. That doesn't happen to any of us, does it? Right? You ate too many cookies at the party, you know? Um, maybe you have overbooked your schedule because you want to see your family, you want to see some friends you're connecting with you haven't seen in a while, and you're just go, 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 jam-packed, and you're in over your head. Maybe it's a time where you get in over your head relationally. Uh, Maybe you see people uh, that you have unresolved conflict with. And maybe it's a time where uh, tensions run a little high. Everybody's tired. Everybody's run ragged. Everybody's stressed financially. And that's the holidays. Merry Christmas, right? So often we get in over our heads to the point that we feel like we are in desperate need of rescue. I mean, it is the case for me every year. I'm like, I need to be rescued out of the holiday madness. The good thing about this is there's many great holiday movies based on this kind of common thing for us, right? You're familiar with Home Alone. Um, Home Alone's a a funny movie. We watch it around the holidays. It's probably going to be on every day from now to Christmas. And it's a great scene or a great great plot of the movie where you got this young guy named Kevin. And the first couple scenes are just horrible. He's like, there's so much tension with he and his family, and he gets all mad and rude. And and due to his bad attitude and the friction he has with his family, they send him up to the attic to sleep. And everybody ends up going on a trip over the ocean, forgetting Kevin. And due to his attitude, he ends up being left at home. He misses the flight. He gets in a lot of trouble. I mean, thankfully, he's later reunited with his family. But you see, in the movie, his bad attitude got him into a situation where he was alone and ended up facing the wet bandits and needed to be rescued from these criminals and needed to be rescued from actually being in harm's way, right? This happens again when you see a you know, Christmas story. You see Ralphie with his obsession with the Red Ryder BB gun, right? I mean, this is the whole plot of the movie is he wants this desperate, uh, he has this desire for the Red Ryder BB gun, and it dictates his every waking moment. It dictates what he writes about at school. It dictates what he says to Santa and to his parents. It dictates everything throughout the whole movie. He is so obsessed with the Red Ryder BB gun and actually gets him in a little bit of trouble. He breaks his glasses and ends up saying a bad word to his father when he's changing a tire. Gets his mouth washed out with soap. This happens again if you watch Christmas Vacation with Chevy Chase. Christmas uh, Clark Griswold uh, is time and time again getting himself into these funny situations because of his clumsiness as he's stringing lights on the house, as he's uh, bringing a Christmas tree, just time and time again, funny, funny stuff. And this is the theme for just about every Christmas movie there is. And often it can be funny if we're watching the movie. But the stories can be comedic, they can be entertaining, but the reality for you and I is that we all truly do need to be rescued. And the sad thing is, is a lot of us don't even know it. We get distracted by things, we get distracted by maybe issues, we get distracted by the fun and fanfare, which are great things, but then we forget that the whole point of Christmas is there is a God coming to rescue his desperately needing people. That's what Christmas is about. So you and I sit in here today, seeing friends and family we've not seen in a while, having a fun time, and that's great. But I want us to pause for a moment. Come to grips to the fact that we all 
need rescue, whether you know it or not. Christmas exposes our brokenness. Christmas exposes our idols. Christmas exposes our flaws, our selfishness, our broken relationships. Christmas really exposes our heart's desires, whether it be wanting something, maybe it is discontent with what you have or what you receive, maybe it's selfishness with your money or your time, maybe it's gluttony with those awesome Christmas pies. <laughs> See, what is it for you that you need rescue from this holiday season? The good news, the good news of the gospel is that God saves sinners. And Christ Jesus is our one and only true coming rescuer. The verses from Matthew's gospel that we just read tell us a few things about Jesus and how he is as our rescuer. So over the next few minutes, I want us to come to grips with our heart's desires and the brokenness that we experience in our lives, where there be sin and selfishness or heart idols or distractions or what have you. And let us look and see what God's word says about Jesus and how he is our true rescuer this Christmas season. Look at how uh, the verse opens. Verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Right out of the gate, the story of Christmas talks about the birth of Jesus Christ. Down in verse 21 says this, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. The very end of verse 25 says, He called his name Jesus. The whole story of Christmas is not about Red Rider BB guns. The whole story of Christmas is not about being home alone. The whole story of Christmas is not even reflecting on it's a wonderful life. The story of Christmas is all about the birth of Jesus Christ. And there's significance in names. This is not just Jesus, some dude over there, but there's great significance in the name Jesus. So first I want us to see this. Jesus is our true rescuer, first and foremost, because Jesus is salvation of us. Jesus is our salvation. Verse uh, 18 says that his name is Jesus Christ. Verse 21 says, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means that God saves or that the Lord is our salvation. You see, the name Jesus is not just some catchy, cool name that they came up with, but his name has meaning, has significance. It actually states who he is and what he's doing. Jesus is God saving his people. His birth is God stepping into human history and to human brokenness to rescue wayward people. Yes, to rescue their souls for eternity. Yes, to rescue their false identities and bring them back to their true identity as God's children. But also to rescue them from sin and brokenness and selfishness and foolishness and pride and fear and despair and irritability, and overindulgence, and everything else that you and I face. The good news of God's rescue of us is that Jesus is our salvation. You see, the whole theme of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation is a story of God's wayward people needing rescue. Time and time again, getting themselves over their heads into situations uh, politically, culturally, uh, relationally, sinfully, and needing to be rescued. And time and time again, God sets foot into human history and says, I'm going to rescue you because I'm your God and you are my people. Because I am your loving Father 
and you are my wayward children, because I am a loving husband, and you are my whoring bride. That is the theme of Scripture. Genesis opens with God creating everything out of nothing, creating the first man and the first woman to live in a perfect relationship with each other and with God. But you know, rebellion enters the world. The brokenness of sin ripples not only into Adam and Eve's relationship with each other, but into Adam and Eve's relationship with their God. And following that, all of creation starts to come unraveled. I mean, all of creation, sickness enters the world, brokenness, death. And from Genesis to Revelation, there are stories of God rescuing and saving and restoring his people physically, spiritually, relationally. God's people get taken in bondage in Egypt, and God comes down and sets them free to rescue them. He leads them to a promised land, and they get caught up in idolatry and cultural sin, and he sets them free from that. And then they get in bondage and are exiled from their land, and God sets them free from that and brings them back. Then in the very first century, it's the time of the Roman Empire that is oppressing them in their own land, and God is is going to set them free, and they're waiting for somebody, for a Messiah to come to rescue them and to set them free because they know this is what God does. God saves his people. And then Jesus is born because Jesus' name means God saves. Jesus is God's salvation for his people. But look at this. Verse 18 says the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. Now Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's like a title for him. The word Christ means uh, the Messiah, the anointed one. It's a title that describes his identity as a rescuer. So Jesus' name is Jesus, God's salvation, uh, Christ, the, the Messiah, the anointed one of God coming to rescue his people. I mean, Christ, Messiah, was a, was a term uh, to be anointed uh, all throughout Scripture. Uh, you see times where, where God's people were anointed. Maybe a man was anointed to be a prophet, or he was anointed to be a priest, or he was anointed to be a king. And we see that Jesus fulfills all three. Because as our rescuer, he is the true prophet, the true priest, the true king. He is God saving his people. So let's pause again, and let me ask you this. Is Jesus our true and better rescuer? Jesus is God saving his people. Jesus is the anointed Messiah, our true prophet, our true priest, our true king, coming to rescue his people. In what ways do you need to be rescued? Secondly, in what ways are you trying to rescue yourself? Because if you're like me, we'll often think, I need to be It could be small things like I need to be rescued from this uh, chaos of holiday madness. So I need to just get out of here and have a break for a day. Or maybe I need to be uh, rescued from uh, this relational tension. So I just need to distance myself from that relative. Or I need to be rescued from overspending or overeating, so I'm going to uh, limit this and limit that, or I need to be uh, rescued. What is it you need to be rescued from? And often we try to rescue ourselves by saying, well, I'll just do this and not do that, and then I'll be okay. Right? Maybe, uh, maybe you'll say, well, I just need a little bit of more of this in my life or a little less of that, and then I'll be okay. And in, in essence, we try to rescue ourselves. And it can be small things like that. Or it could be even bigger things by saying, you know, I am such a sinful wreck. Maybe if I can uh, wrestle with my own guilt and my own flaws and do better and try harder, then maybe God will accept me as his child. 
Or then maybe I can have good relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ on my own. Or maybe you think, uh, if I could just live a more moral lifestyle, like I mean, it's the season of overindulgence, right? That can apply to a lot of things. And you think, well, if I could just be more moral, then maybe I'll be closer to God and closer to people. In the end, that is us trying to rescue ourselves. But at the end of the day, we need to take a step back and say, we are utterly helpless and hopeless apart from God's intervention. Nowhere in human history and biblical history has God's people ever been able to fix their brokenness on their own. There is no biblical story of God's people getting things together on their own. Every story in the Bible is God's people being utterly over their head, utterly in need of rescue, and God in his kindness and patience and mercy and love saying, I'm going to rescue you because you can't do it on your own. Don't do better. Don't try harder. Don't be more moral. Don't be smarter. Just admit that you need to be rescued because I'm going to rescue you anyway. And that's the good news of Christmas. So as we move forward, remember that Jesus Christ, Jesus is God's salvation. Jesus is God saving his people. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. So as you look at your life and think, uh, what do I need to be saved from? What do I need to be rescued from? What, what do I want to see change in my life? Know that you can't fix it on your own, but God will rescue you out of that. And that's the good news of Jesus' birth. Now, secondly, not only is Jesus our salvation, but secondly, Jesus is the man for us. I mean, let me rephrase that. He's the man. He is. Let's just stay with that. Jesus is the man for us. And here's what I mean by that. It's not what my notes say, but we're going to run with it. Amen. Verse 18 The birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Let's camp out on that verse for a minute. When I say Jesus is the man for us, what I want us to know is that Jesus was fully man. He was not uh, the apparition of a spirit that looked like a man. He was not like a ghost. He was not uh, God pretending to be a man or like a puppet. Jesus was fully man, 100% flesh and blood man. Scripture tells us in verse 18 that he was born of his mother, Mary. I mean, he was, he was, she was pregnant with a child. She carried him to term. I mean, he was in his mother's womb developing and growing as a human child. 100% man. I look around the room and there are many mothers here who have, who have carried children. There are some of you who are pregnant now. There are some of you who have just given birth. It's a beautiful thing. You know what it's like to have a child inside you. As a father, I know what it's like to, to see a child be born and just embrace that child knowing, uh, knowing that it's, it's my son or my three daughters. Such a joy. But see, Jesus was born of Mary. He didn't just appear to be human, but was actually human at conception, 100%. Now, the birth of Jesus took place in this way. You see down in verse 20, Scripture says this, But as he considered all these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So we see something happen here, that Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully man. Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. But Jesus as 100% man 
not only was that his nature, but it also was a function that he had. And let me explain to you what I mean by that. You see, Jesus not only was a man physically, but he took on all the manness and all the humanity on his shoulders. That means Jesus was hungry. Jesus got thirsty. Jesus felt pain. He felt sickness. He felt uh, relational tension with his, he had siblings later. He had relatives. We actually see in scripture there was some tension. His family, some of his family thought he was crazy. Jesus took on all the experiences of human life. He got tired. But here's the good news. He lived the perfect human life. You see, Jesus not only took these things on just to experience them, but he was the perfect man on our behalf. When you read the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, you look at it, and we often look at it and kind of cringe, and we think, there's so much there that scares me. I mean, it's a list of rules, right? The Bible says, do this, do this, don't do that, don't do that. And we often misunderstand that to mean, well, I have to do X, Y, and Z and not do X, Y, and Z in order to be loved and accepted by God. But in reality, God is saying, I love you and I accept you. Therefore, do X, Y, and Z. Therefore, don't do X, Y, and Z. Because that's not how my children act and you're my child. But we always fail. I mean, some of us have broken a few of the Ten Commandments since you've been sitting here. And that's okay. It's not okay to sin. But here's the good news as we look to Jesus as being the perfect man. When you read all of the Old Testament and you see these lists of do's and don'ts, the good news is Jesus did all that he was supposed to do. He did all that you and I are commanded to do. He didn't do the things that we are prohibited from doing. Jesus was the perfect man. He lived a perfect life. He never sinned. He did everything according to the law. He was the perfect first century Jewish male. And he did all things par excellence on our behalf. And that's good news for me and you. He also understands our weakness. We've been in Hebrews and we understand as scripture teaches us through the book of Hebrews that Jesus understands our pain, our struggle, our sin, our brokenness, though he himself never sinned. That's why he is our true and perfect Priest, Jesus lived a life that we should live, but we can't. He lives a life that is also our example. You see, his teaching, his miracles, his compassion, his love, he modeled perfectly so that you and I will follow in step. You see, it's necessary for Jesus to be God, and it's necessary for Jesus to be man, because only a man can live the perfect life of a man. And only a man can take on his shoulders the punishment for sin and brokenness, which is what Jesus did at the cross. The great author Madeline Lee Engel said, There is nothing so secular that it cannot be sacred. And that is one of the deepest messages of the Incarnation, is that God himself stepped foot in human history, not only to live the life as the perfect man, but also to show that whatever God touches can be redeemed and made perfect. And Jesus being fully man was God coming in and taking creation and making it perfect, right? I mean, Jesus didn't sin. He was a perfect man. So Jesus is God's salvation of us. Jesus is the perfect man 
for us on our behalf. Thirdly, Jesus is God with us. You see, Jesus is fully man, but he is also 100% fully God. And this is where our minds kind of explode a little bit, because there's nobody like Jesus. Any metaphor I could try to create for you eventually will break down. The mystery is that there's no one like Jesus. There is no one who is fully God and fully man at the same time. So you just have to take it in faith and try to understand And our broken minds can't always wrap our heads around it, but it's beautiful and it's awesome. So Jesus is 100% fully man, but he's also 100% fully God. Jesus is God with us. See, verse 18 says, The birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Again, it says in verse 20, the same thing. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus, uh, Mary conceived Jesus not through Joseph, but through the Holy Spirit of God. That's why he is 100% human, because he is in Mary's womb, but he is 100% God, because he is from the Holy Spirit. And the incarnation of Christ as a man is not God shedding off his divinity, but rather God adding humanity to himself. And in so doing, Jesus fulfills what the prophet Isaiah said, For unto us a child is born, To us the Son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In Colossians, the Apostle Paul writes, For in him, speaking of Jesus, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And in Colossians 2.9, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So Jesus did what only God can do. He did what man has to do, which is live a perfect life, obeying all the laws of God, feeling hunger and tiredness and brokenness, but never sinning. Jesus did that because he was 100% man. But then Jesus, being 100% God, did what only God can do, and that is step into the world and forgive sin and bring salvation and restoration. And that is good news for you and I. And Matthew's Gospel tells us this great statement. In verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Again, he's quoting the prophet Isaiah and saying, Emmanuel, the name Emmanuel means God with us. And that is such good news. I mean, this is the way that we are rescued. is not that God sends some other random angel to come grab us in a spaceship or something, ancient aliens. I mean, it's a great show, but come on, really? You know, God himself comes to the rescue. Jesus is God's salvation of us because he is fully man, but he is fully God. He is God dwelling with us. Emmanuel means God with us. And the great beauty of the gospel is that it is not you and I trying to work our way up to heaven, but rather it is heaven coming down to rescue us. It is not you and I trying to do better, try harder, and fall in line so that maybe we can get there, but rather God himself says, you can't, you're broken. I'm coming to you. I'm going to come down and rescue you. There's nothing you can do to rescue yourselves. I'm here to do that for you. And this great news changes everything to us, for us. So I want to ask you this question. As you look at your brokenness in your life, I mean, what sin, what struggles, what idols of your heart, what what does brokenness look like in your life, and what are you desperately wanting to be rescued out of? It could be a relational tension. It could be fear. It could be doubt spiritually. You could just say, I'm just, my faith is dead right now. Spiritually, I am dry. I want to be rescued out of that. 
I can't give you a to-do list to say, well, do X, Y, and Z. But what I can say is, look, you cry out to God, and God will save you from that. He will rescue you from that because Jesus is God's salvation for you. Jesus is God Emmanuel, God dwelling with you. And that's good news. Look at your brokenness. What do you need rescue from? And then in what ways are you trying to rescue yourselves? How do you seek to connect with God? And let us look to the gospel together. Lastly, I want to say a couple things. So we see that Jesus is God's salvation of us. Jesus is the perfect man on our behalf. And that Jesus is fully God, Emmanuel, God's presence dwelling with us. What is the significance of that for you and I today? The significance is this. First, our identity is secure in the person, person and work of Jesus No longer are our lives based on who we are and what we've done. No longer is your life based on what family you come from or what traditions you adhere to or what what education you have or degrees you have. Your identity is not your job. Your identity is not even the relationships you have. Your identity is not your sin and brokenness that you struggle with. You say, Jeremy, you have no idea what sin is in my heart. You have no idea what struggles I have. You have no idea what last night looked like for me. The good news is that does not define you in Christ. The good news is that Jesus came down as God's dwelling presence with you so that you are no longer defined by your past, by your sin, by your struggles, by your brokenness. You are defined by being a rescued child of God because Jesus came to rescue you. And his presence is with you always. And that is such good news. Secondly, Our community is centered around Jesus. You see, your identity is defined by Jesus because he rescues you, but our community is centered around Jesus. This is what that means for you and I. As a body of believers, we are not defined by geography. We're not. Some of you in this room live in downtown Augusta. Some of you live in Martinez. Some of you live in Evans. Some of you live in Grovetown. Some of you live in Plum Branch in North Augusta toward Aiken. There are people in this room that that live miles and miles from here. And some of you that live really, really close. The good news is that in Christ, we're not defined by our geography. We're not even defined by our sameness, whether that be cultural sameness or ethnic sameness or stage in life sameness. I love that in this room there are students, there are soldiers, there are medical professionals, there are stay-at-home moms, there are grandmas, there are grandpas, there are children. Uh, I love that. We are not defined by those things. Our community is centered around Jesus and experiencing his grace together, and that is great news for us. Thirdly, our mission to forward the gospel is rooted in this good news. I mean, our purpose as a church is to celebrate our new identity in Christ, our new community in Christ, but also we have a mission to do. We have a mission from Jesus himself. In Matthew 28, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I mean, the Great Commission, Jesus can say, all authority in heaven and on earth. Why heaven? Because he's fully God. Why earth? Because he's fully man. Jesus has all authority commission you. And why, why can he commission you? Because he bought you. He rescued you. He saved you. 
You were his. So when Jesus commands something, we listen out of gratitude and worship for who he is and what he's done for us. And he says, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And such a great statement. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I am with you always. Emmanuel, God with us. That's such good news this Christmas. So as we have a time of reflection and response, I want to ask you to think about this. First and foremost, the greatest gift you can receive this Christmas is the gift of God's presence with you always. That happens solely in Jesus Christ alone. If you are not a Christian, I am begging you to consider Jesus. If you want to enjoy the presence of God forever, his name is Jesus. That is for eternity, yes, but that's here and now as well. You cannot do any spiritual hip thing to get close to God and experience his presence. His presence is named Jesus. And I want you to know that more than anything. So if you are not a Christian, please come talk to me or somebody you know, and let's talk about Jesus and what his salvation of you looks like. Secondly, the greatest gift you can give this Christmas is to introduce others to the presence of God for eternity, and his name is Jesus. So if you are a Christian and you know Jesus and he is wrecking your heart with the good news and changing you and growing you, and we're experiencing that together as a community of people, the greatest gift we can give together is to introduce others to Jesus. And we do so by proclaiming the good news. We do so by displaying the effects of this good news. When you visit your family this week, for how, I have a lot of family members that aren't Christians. And so when we were, you know, my wife and I were talking about this, when we go see them this week, we want more than anything to display, not only to tell, they know I'm a preacher. They're like, we don't want to hear you preach. Great. I could preach all day long and then act like a fool on Christmas Day and blow it, but rather display the effects of God's work in me and in my family's life to just tell some stories of how God's growing our faith and even share some repentance. Let me tell you, repentance goes a long way especially if you do it publicly. If you meet with some family members and say, you know what, you know, Uncle Joe, I was kind of short with you on the phone. Please forgive me. That goes a long way if Uncle Joe is not a Christian to see you be humble and repentant. Just a little aside, I don't even have an Uncle Joe, but if I did, I'm sure I would be short with him on the phone and have to repent because that's me. So in closing, I'll ask us all to consider Jesus to believe, to repent, and to go tell this good news uh, of our rescue. Thank you. Let me pray. Father God in heaven, you were good. You were holy. You were so kind to us. You were so patient. And Lord, I pray uh, that in the holiday madness, God, that we would um, celebrate family, celebrate friends, that we would have a great time eating great food and feasting and just enjoying all your goodness to us, but Lord, may, may we pause and reflect to see the source of this goodness being you, Jesus. And in the, in the fun and hoopla, may we not be distracted to the point of, of failing to thank you for rescuing us. God, that you are, are the source of all good things, that you are the creator, the redeemer, the restorer, the rescuer. The God, we are no longer defined by our sin and brokenness, But God, we are defined by being your people that you have bought 
that you have rescued by your perfect life, Jesus, by your death on a cross as our substitute. And so, Jesus, I pray um, that by your Holy Spirit you would awaken within us uh, a responsive heart, a humble heart to receive this good news, God, to, to recognize our brokenness, to recognize our sin, our pride, our fears, our doubts, and God, to not be afraid, but to know that you are gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And because of that, you stoop down into broken human history to rescue your people who are desperately in need of rescue. And so God, as you rescue us as individuals, as uh, married couples, as families, as a group of believers and uh, as, a, as a community of faiths together, God, I pray that we would celebrate that together, that we would worship you, that we would go tell this good news, and that that good news, uh, the effects of this gospel would be displayed in how we live life. God, I pray that you would do amazing things, even this Christmas, for your glory and for our joy, and that the good news may advance from here to the nations. We ask this in Jesus' good and holy name. Amen.